Greg DeMent is our Bible reader. You may be seated, by the way. Uh, Greg's going to read God's word for us this morning. We will be in uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 12. Are you enjoying the gospel, Luke? Yeah, great. All right. And uh, Greg, if you'd use this one right here. Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, which one did you just point to? The one over there. For those who don't know, Greg, tell them where you work and what you do. Uh, I work at the University of Houston downtown, so I do faculty development. I essentially help faculty in all areas of what they do, mainly in helping them teach, improve their teaching, improve their courses, those types of things. Cool. Great. Well, thank you for reading for us this morning. You all follow along as Greg reads God's word for us this morning. Luke 5:12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to he hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed, of, a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Greg. So in India, there's a system. Anybody know what this system is called? the caste system. It's been there for a couple thousand years. It's based on the Hinduism, uh, which is the primary religion in India. And it's this idea that there are five classes of people and that this is predetermined by their reincarnation, that this is what they deserve. And the highest caste of society is what's called the Brahmins. And they are the religious priests, the teachers, the educated, the aristocracy, if you will. And then there's the Kshetras, 
and they are the warriors and the rulers are more management level, military, things like that. Then there's the Vaishas, which are farmers, uh, traders, merchants. And then there's the Shudras, which is basically the common laborers. And each of them was reflected by a part of the body of this Hindu god. And the, the bottom of the caste is what's called the Dalits. They are the outcasts of society. They're also more commonly called the untouchables. They're not even given a part of this god. They're basically the stool that this god sits on. They are considered worthless people. They live in utter poverty. They are not allowed to be educated in the same ways. They have the worst of the schools, the least of the government funding. They live in squalor. They have to go to the junkyards of the richer people to try to find sufficient food. They bathe in squalor. They live in just, just dreadful conditions. And we're talking about the largest, most populated country in the world. 1.3 billion people live in India, and one-fifth of that is the Dalits, the untouchables. And their children are discriminated against. Even though they are made, as we would see in the image of God, they are considered by their gods as cursed people. If you see a cow walking down the streets of India, you cannot touch it or do it any harm because it's a god. But if you see a Dalit starving to death, a four-year-old girl, you cannot help her because that's her karma. It does make a difference what you believe, doesn't it? And the, the, when the British Empire took over India, they tried to remove the caste system and it became less enforced. But when India got independence, they thought that they'd be more sophisticated, but no, the caste system came back with a vengeance. And now you see all levels of discrimination. And of course, our schools today teach that only white people can be you know, racist. <laughs> Tell that to the Dalits. Tell that to brown people persecuting them because they are seen by their religion as worthless people as they starve to death. The two stories we're going to deal with today, Jesus is talking, dealing with people who are untouchable and he loves them anyway. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't care what color you are? That Jesus says, you're made in my image. I love you all. I treat you all the same. Now, to get the context of these two stories, we have to go back to last week and just kind of summarize. So Peter had fished all night with James and John and all their workers on their two boats, caught nothing. The next morning, they're, they're cleaning their nets, which is an arduous task. Took hours sometimes. Jesus comes up and says, hey, why don't you send the boat out a little bit farther and throw the net out again? And Peter's like, I know you know the Bible, but I know fishing. <laughs> We've fished all night. We've caught nothing. In fact, you teaching on the shore with all the loud crowd has probably scared the fish away. All right, but if you want me to, I will. <laughs> and he throws the net in, and of course they caught enough fish to fill two boats to the point they were about to sink. A catch that no human being probably had ever seen before and maybe never have seen since. And this is when Peter falls at Jesus' feet and says, depart from me. I am a sinful man. He knew he couldn't depart from Jesus because where could he flee from his presence? This is when, it, this is when the light bulb went off. Like, whoa, wait, this guy is not just some great prophet, not just some great teacher. He's God, and I am totally unworthy to be in his presence. Now, when we look at uh, these three miracles, it's interesting how Peter, I'm sorry, Luke puts them together. In fact, all throughout the gospel of Luke, he puts things together in threes, and here's another one of them. First of all, with Peter's miracle, when Jesus commands him, he doesn't believe, right? He says, oh yeah, whatever, we'll throw the net out just to kind of prove you wrong. 
The leper does believe, and in the case of the paralytic, it's his friends who are actually the ones who believe. And then when you, you look at the miracle of Peter, the miracle was happening all around him, okay? And with the leper, the miracle was happening on him, literally on his skin. But for the paralytic, the miracle was inside of him. He said, your sins are forgiven. That's what happened first. Now later it would affect his legs too. But you see that Luke's putting these together to draw a contrast. With, with Peter, it was Jesus that took the initiative. Peter was hesitant. Jesus said, hey, you're, you need to cast your nets out. With the leper, he's the one that took the initiative. Even though he was forbidden to go into the city, he did. Even though he was forbidden to walk within you know, a, a good distance of anybody, he approached Jesus. He took the initiative. And with, I'm sorry, and with the, uh, the paralytic, it's his friends that took the initiative. Um, let's see here. Now, Peter, after this miracle, he said, I'm unworthy. I, I'm a sinful man. You shouldn't be in my presence. With the leper, he was unclean. Okay? He didn't feel worthy because he was unclean. And with the paralytic, he was unable to get Jesus. He had that friend. So you have one that was unworthy, one that was unclean, and one that was unable. And then when you should contrast them, Peter says, I'm a sinful man. Leprosy is a picture of sin, so it's put in the middle of the story. And then with the paralytic, he says, your sins are forgiven. So sin, sin, sin is the common theme and the forgiveness of sin for all three miracles. So as we divide up this chapter, we're just looking at two quick stories here, the leper and the paralytic. Let's jump in. So while Jesus was in one of the cities, now that's important because lepers had to live outside the city by law. Very super contagious disease. They had to live at a distance, but this, while Jesus is still in the city, there came a man full of leprosy. Not just a little spot here, like, ooh, I just got it. I better go see Jesus. Okay, he's got it all over him. He is overtaken by leprosy. Leprosy attacks the skin. It starts at the peripherals. So fingertips, noses, ears, toes are the first things to disappear, and they disappear in chunks. And usually people would wrap their head to cover up their ears. They were fleshly eating uh, just as they were exposed and oozing, they'd wrap their fingertips. You know, they would almost look like mummies in the latter stages of the leprosy. We call it today Hansen's disease. It's very, very um, rare, especially in, in the Western Hemisphere. There is one animal that carries leprosy. Anybody know what it is? Armadillo. Yeah, don't mess with them. They're not meant to be pets. They're cute, but don't, they're not cuddly. And it says, and when, uh, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face. He recognizes who Jesus is. Now, how did he hear about Jesus? He lives in a leper colony. What would, what, if you lived in a leper colony, what would happen is your family would bring food out to like the entrance and just set it down. They might write you a note or whatever, and they'd walk away quickly because they didn't want to catch that. And so maybe one day he came out, and there's some bread and some food or whatever, and there's a note maybe from his sister. Who knows? Hey, there's this guy, Jesus. Maybe he can heal you. How he heard about Jesus, we don't know. But he knows enough to recognize who Jesus is. He falls down and worships him. When you see people falling on their face in the Bible, it's an act of worship. And while angels said, don't do that, when people fell at their feet, when Paul and Silas said people fell at their feet, they said, don't do that, Jesus never rejects worship. Why? Because he's God. People say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. They're not reading the Bible clearly, okay? He, Jesus doesn't reject, reject this worship. And it says, and he begged him, and we tend to beg when we're desperate, <laughs> right? 
And really, we should be begging before we're desperate. We, we shouldn't wait till we're in a pickle, as they say in East Texas, that to really find out we need to be begging God. And you know why God will bring difficulty in our life? So that we'll be begging him, that we'll realize how desperate we are, and we need to realize before we get into the traumatizing situations. And he says, Lord, he recognizes his lordship. He says, if you will, if you choose to, he's leaving this up to Jesus. I really believe, and I'm just taking the guy at his word, that if Jesus said, you know, I don't will. He said, okay. But if he's leaving up to God, and that's, healing is up to God. God can heal, right? Amen? But God sometimes chooses to and sometimes not to, and that's where trust comes in. That's where we look and say, why, why would you do this, God? Why would you not let so-and-so live? Sometimes certain people's death glorifies him more than their living. We've seen trauma, tra traumatic situations. I had a friend, uh, Kep, uh, Ken Gilming, who pastored Cherry Street Baptist Church up in Springfield, Missouri. And his son was a dynamic Christian, very outspoken in his public high school, stood for the Lord, well-behaved, godly young man, really good football player. And one night they won a big playoff game and he was driving his car home to go celebrate with some friends and a drunk driver smashed in his car, killed his son. And Ken Gimley had a hard time with this. God, why would you allow this to happen? What good could come out of this? You know, he was living for you. He wanted to be a missionary. He wanted to do all these things for you. And you took him. Why would you do this? And then Ken had to preach his own son's funeral. And almost the entire high school showed up. And 260 teenagers gave their life to Christ. And he got his answer. That's why. God, we have to trust guys why he allows certain things to happen. And we don't always understand, but we have to believe that he is good. We have to believe in the goodness of God. And he, so he says, hey, it's up to you, God. If you, Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, there was another person approached you know, Jesus and says, well, if you're able. Here, this guy doesn't even, he doesn't question whether Jesus is able. He just wants to know, is he willing? And he says, you can if, you, if you're willing. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. He stretched out his hand to a man who everybody else was going, ugh. They would see him and they would literally shriek and withdraw. Jesus is reaching out towards him and he's making physical contact with a guy who's highly, highly contagious. One thing that is, you know, if, if you walk into a room and someone has tuberculosis and you breathe their air and they breathe your air, do they get well? No, you get sick. But Jesus is the only person who's ever lived that he spread his wellness. Wellness never normally spreads the sickness. It's always the other way around in a cursed world. But Jesus literally could spread his wealth, wellness, if you could, or his healthiness to other people. And he, he, he didn't have to touch him. How many miracles did we see where Jesus spoke it and it happened? Jesus didn't even have to be physically present. Remember Jairus' daughter? He said, hey, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. You just say the word and it'll be done. Jesus could do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and yet Jesus chose to physically touch him, and it wasn't to heal him. Let, let's look at this. Uh, and there is a small chiasm in this passage. For those who are new to revolution, a chiastic structure is when God makes a little sandwich, and it has some parallels. Well, the beginning of the story matches the end of the story, and then the middle parts are parallel, and then there's a centerpiece that points a big arrow saying, hey, here's your main point. And so the story starts with a man full of leprosy, and immediately the leprosy left him. It works its way in on the sandwich. It says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And he said, I will be clean. And what is at the meat of this sandwich? 
And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. The main point that Luke wants you to get from this story of, of the leper is Jesus physically touched the guy. Jesus was going towards him when the whole world was running away from him. Think about this. We do not know what age he, he got leprosy. We don't, but let's just say, let's say he was married, had two kids, and got leprosy. Do you realize the marriage was over? He had to leave his wife. He had to leave his kids. Didn't get to see them grow up. He didn't get to go to all the holidays, the festivals, have meals with his mom, his dad, brothers, sisters, any of that. Any of those things. He, his best friends, it was over. Every relationship in his life was done. You talk about loneliness. This was a lonely existence. And the whole world was running from him, including his family. And this is the first person, maybe in a year, two, or three, who is reaching towards him. And not just reaching towards him, but is touching him. We, believers in Christ, the church, we are the hands of Jesus. And we need to reach out and touch the untouchables in our world. The Dalits. The homeless the unpopular, the unattractive, the poor, whatever, someone the opposite political persuasion of you. We, we need to reach out and touch people. We need to make an impact, not just physically, but to be in their lives, in our world. That's why we're here. And Jesus stretched out and he touched him and he said, I will. You, you, get, you left it up to me and I'm choosing to do that. Be clean. When did the, clean, when did the, clean, the cleansing, the healing happen? When he said the word, the touch was just because I love you. The touch was just because he cared. The touch was because that guy needed, he had not been touched in, ever since he's had leprosy. That wasn't because I'm touching you to lay on my hands to heal you and the guy fell backward. He's touched him just to show personal concern and then he spoke the word and that's when the leprosy left him. So notice, it was the command that healed him. So why did he touch him? To, to be in contact with them. Um, so, uh, Matt, could you do me a favor? Would you turn off the lights? That's the middle button. We're going to watch the clip from The Chosen. And I want you to watch this episode. It's great. So I don't want you to watch it with too much of a critical eye, but I do want you to see if there's any discrepancies in the story. Okay? And make sure it's nice and loud for us, Matt. Not to spoil this beautiful day or anything, huh? <laughs> Come on. Huh? Mr. Leper, stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, no. Rabbi, 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 you cannot Rabbi, this disease. You Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing.
Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. Green is definitely your color. <laughs> Not too shabby. that. Um, I always teach the scripture and read the scripture before I show you the video because I want us to interpret the video through the scriptures, not the other way around. Okay. I'm a big fan of the chosen, but it's created by people. So it's not perfect, but I definitely recommend it. Just have a critical theory on, on, on your, on your mind as you watch. Who saw something that wasn't exactly like the scripture said? Michaela. They weren't in the city. It says they were in, while they were in the city, that's an important detail. So I picture this guy like cloaked, like robed, covering up everything as he's walking through the city and then does this and everybody's like, <gasps> you know, and then crowd around him. What else did you see? Any other details? It happened immediately. I think for special effects, they make it kind of gradual for the dramatic effect, but I think immediate means immediate. I think it was a like, you know, and then the third thing, it says he touched him. Then he said, be clean. I think that's important, too. But again, uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, our church's purpose statement is read it with me. Worship God passionately, love people genuinely, start a revolution. That middle part of that is so important. Love people genuinely. It's hard to love people like that are social lepers. It's hard to love people that are awkward. There's a reason that some people don't have friends and that you're the only one, but you have to do it anyway. When I was in high school, uh, there was a young man named John Holmes who started coming to our church, and John was deaf in his, in his left ear. And he was deaf in his left ear because when he was five years old, his dad punched him in the side of the head and broke his eardrum. His dad was a drunk and beat his mom and his brothers and sisters on a regular basis. 
So John taught like this because he was deaf in one ear, so he created a speech impediment. Everybody thought because he talked that way, he was stupid. He was not stupid. He was poor, but people treated him badly. But he started coming to our church. I started trying to disciple him. I remember we would go, we went, I went to Newark High School, which was a very rough high school. It was the beginning of desegregation, and so there was a lot of racial tensions. There was riots on a regular basis and fights and things like that. And he and I were eating lunch together. We bowed our heads to give thanks for the food. We could feel corn and other macaroni and stuff being thrown at us while we're blessing our food. And John was given a hard time, but John and I became friends. I had nothing in common with John. He was not good at sports. He was poor. My family had money. We had nothing in common except Jesus Christ. And was it difficult to be his friend? Yes, it was. It was. But that's what God wanted me to do. And we have to reach into these people who are lepers socially or in other ways that, are, that the world would call untouchables. And Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you, revolution, are my disciples because you know so much Bible. No. Or because you are so clean cut. No. It's because you love one another. We love the unlovable. And people look at that and scratch it and say, why does, he, why does he pay attention to that guy? Man, there must be something bigger than what's going on because the world, I'll be friends with you if you'll be friends with me. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. There's got to be some benefit. But Jesus calls us to love people when there's no benefit whatsoever. Even if they never come to Christ, that we may love a lost person just because we love them. Whether they come to Christ or not, we just pray. But some people feel used by religion, like, oh, you just want me to go to your church. No, I love you because you're my neighbor. I love you and I'll always, be, I'll always love you. Yes, would I love you to come to my church? Would I love you to love my Savior? Yes, but whether you do or not, I will always love you. There are at least 12 times in the gospel it records Jesus touching someone when he's healing them. Jesus could have done the same thing here. He could have spoken the word, but here he's touching for a purpose. And it says, and he charged him to tell no one what? That's crazy. Why would, you, why would you not want to tell anybody? But you see this pattern throughout the Gospels. In Mark, you see Jesus charge them all, tell no one, right after a miracle. And in Mark chapter 1, it says he would not permit the demons to speak. He didn't want the demons to talk about what he had just done. In chapter 1, verse 44, he says, say nothing to no anyone, another leper that he'd healed. In Mark 3, 11, he strictly ordered them not to make him known. You think, and, and of course the world does the opposite. The world, anything they want to do, look at us. We donated this much money to this thing and they hold a big check showing you, hey, look what we did. You know, and the world's always bragging on themselves. And Jesus is like, no, don't tell anybody. Now we'll get to why here, but look at the pattern. And after he healed this, this other, uh, uh, with his eyes, a blind man, and restored his sight, don't even go into town because people are going to ask you what happened. I don't want you to tell them. Don't even go into town. In chapter 7, verse 36, Jesus charged them to tell no one. And the question is, why? Why does Jesus not want it at this point in his ministry to be known? He answers the question in Luke chapter 9. So we'll fast forward there. It says, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. That's important. And here's, watch, follow the, the logic here. So then he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. That's why, don't tell about the miracles because they'll know I'm the Christ. He just said there specifically, you are recognizing I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. Don't tell anybody, saying or explaining the reason why. The word saying there means to expound or to delineate why. 
the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. In other words, when the leadership of the country finds out that everybody thinks I'm the Messiah, the ball is in motion and I'm going to get killed. So I don't want to be killed in the first year of my ministry or in the second year. We'll start the ball rolling later because that's God's timing. So he's holding back on what he knows is going to be set in motion if the word gets out. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded. If you read in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it's, it never talks about a priest ever healing a leper. It doesn't happen in the Old Testament as far as priests, though. But the priests were the ones who were basically like the doctor who would verify, wow, you are clean. A miracle did happen to you because leprosy was incurable and still is. It's treatable with medicine, but not curable. So he quotes Moses' law here. And uh, Dr. Clark, a commentary, uh, spell it this way. He says, if the person was poor, then he was going to bring one lamb, one-tenth of a deal of flour, one log of oil, and two turtle doves or young pigeons. This is what they had to bring as a sacrifice to say thanks to God for them being healed. But this guy in the video, in, in our passage here, when he's healed by Jesus, who he knows is the Messiah, who is the Lamb of God, when he goes and sacrifices this lamb as a thanksgiving offering for his healing of leprosy, do you not think he's thinking as the blood is trickling down? Wow. He's the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. That's what his cousin John said. He's tying all the pieces together. And we could go into detail about what each one of these offerings represent. But the biggest thing pointed to Jesus, the lamb of God. In verse 15, it says, but now even more, it had started to spread a little bit. Now even more, the report went about him abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Notice what the priority is. Hearing the word of God was more important than the healing. Healing is important. God heals, amen? But the hearing was more important. That's what, and this crowd did have their priorities right. But it's interesting. As his ministry is growing, and thousands of people are coming. What's Jesus' response? I'm going to withdraw. And what's interesting is the guy who had leprosy withdrew from society. And Jesus heals him so he can get back into society. And Jesus is the one who withdraws. Do you see that? Jesus is taking his place. I'm going to withdraw from society so that you can enter into society. Jesus puts himself on the cross so that you're not the one on the cross. But he also does this for another purpose. It's not just symbolic. He drew away, to, he did this often, it's a pattern in his ministry. He drew away to desolate, play, isolated places to what? To pray. Now that should sink deep into our hearts because if Jesus, God the Son, needed to find alone time to pray, how much more do we need to do the same? Think about that. Jesus was God in human flesh, right? But he set aside many benefits of his divinity, like Philippians 2 says, to humble himself just a function in humanity filled with the Holy Spirit of God to do all these things that he did. Okay? He could have done them as the Son of God, God the Son, but he chose to be human, filled with the Holy Spirit of God so he could do these things, but he needed to pray to make those things happen. I want you to join me to make a resolution to make time to talk to your Heavenly Father every day. Withdraw to an isolated place where you're alone, no distractions from your phone, from anybody else, just to make time to pray on a daily basis in 2024. Let's move to the second story, the paralytic. 
It says, on one of those days, and this is another phrase that Luke is reminding us, I'm not staying in chronological order. So when skeptics and atheists say, see, Luke has it this way and Mark has it this way, Luke says, I'm not telling the stories in order. I'm putting them together by themes. So on one of those days when he was teaching, I'm just pulling a random story out here to make it fit my theme. He, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting. So these people were the religious people. They should have been the ones pointing everybody to Jesus. Instead, they're the ones mad at Jesus and pointing people away. That still happens today. <laughs> um, people say, I've heard reports that there's 30,000 Christian denominations, and another report came out saying there's 45,000 45, Christian denominations. Are there too many Christian denominations? Yes. Are there that many? No. It's a lie. It's meant to make you think that Christianity is fragmented, trying to discredit Christianity. Here's the way they count it. You ever heard of PCUSA, right? Beth, you've heard of that. Presbyterian Church in U.S. United States of America. If it's the Presbyterian Church in Mexico, it's called PC Mexico. If it's in Argentina, it's called PC and then so forth, PC Germany. They count each one of those as a different denomination just because it's in a different country. That's not accurate. The Catholic Church is, the Roman Catholic Church is about as united as it gets as far as being under one heading. But they count 186 different Catholic denominations because they're in 168 different, 186 different countries. That's not fair. That's not accurate. And if a church chooses, like we are, to be independent, they count us as our own denomination. And so every, every independent church, which churches, it's good to be independent, they're counting each one of them. And so when they say 30,000 plus denominations, it's not even close to accurate. There are churches we have a ton in common with, but we're not under the same umbrella. We don't, we don't have to have a denomination over us or a headquarters. You know, we have elders here. We have the word of God. We can do what we need to do. So it's not even fair to make Christianity look that divided. Now, but on the other side of the coin, there are too many denominations. The reason I say that is because many of them are doing things that are unbiblical. They're holding to the traditions of men rather than doctrine. Okay? And there are some that we have so much in common with, we just baptize differently, or we have different types of government, elder rule versus congregational rule. But we enjoy, we enjoy and agree 99% of the doctrine the same. So to say that Christianity is that divided is just a hoax. Um, but are there false denominations? Yes. And Jesus said it would be that way. He said broad would be the road to destruct, destruction and many would be down that, going down that road. And he says in the last days, how, many, how much faith will I find? That people will drift from sound doctrine, having ears trying to be tickled with many different teachers. So he said that Christianity would apostatize and there would be a lot of false denominations as well. There's a balance on that whole numbers thing. It says, and these, these religious leaders who were anti-Jesus, they had come from everywhere. This was like, let's all converge on Jesus because we got to put an end to this. They, we're going to hear for ourselves this blasphemy so that we can start the beginning of the end for Jesus. And it says they came from Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, the, the three different regions. And it says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Jesus was resting upon the Holy Spirit's power to do these miracles. So we see people came from all over, the three different regions. So some people traveled a couple of days to hear Jesus. So this was a big deal. And so he was resting on the power of the Lord, which is what we should do, absolutely true. In Acts chapter 3, it says, and he took him by the right hand, let's talk about Paul and Silas, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And when Peter, sorry, Peter, had saw if he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? 
Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this man walk? Peter's immediately giving the credit to the Lord. Hey, we didn't do this on our own power. Jesus never made those statements. He was using his own power and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Peter's saying, hey, this is a God thing. This is because of our own power, because we're just so religious. And he goes on to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. How do we resolve to do good? How do we walk by faith? It's by the power of God. What is wrong with this toaster? It's not plugged in. Okay. I could put another toaster side by side with it, one plugged in and one not. One, the bread will just sit there and get stale. The other one will make good toast. Okay. Really super illustration, super simple illustration, but this is the Christian life when we're not in the Word, when we're not praying, when we're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are a toaster that has everything it needs, but it's not plugged into the power. We need to not be that. We tend in our own pride, think we can make it on our own. We can make decisions without consulting God. We can say things without consulting and praying about them. We need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit of God through His Word and through prayer and through His church. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. We don't know if it's because of an accident. We don't know what happened. And they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. And, but finding no way to bring him in, he's in a home, okay, and there's a crowd there. Uh, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. Now, in the Middle East, over in, in Israel, and especially in the Galilean area, they had flat roofs, and it was like a place to hang, up on, hang out on. And so people often, especially in the cool of the evening, would eat meals on top of their home. They could do work on top of their home. On top of the roof was no big deal. In fact, usually there was an opening because if they worked on something, they could lower the work down into the kitchen and a common opening in the roof might look like something like this. But then you would close it up with tiles uh, to not let the rain in. And it says, and when he saw their faith, faith, it seems like it's something that's subjective, invisible, but it is something that does give evidence. And that's what he saw. He saw their evidence, their faith being lived out. James 2.18 backs this up, says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith, what? By my works. You know, you can talk, your neighbors can see you get up on Sunday morning, dressed up a little bit, backing out the car, you know, nine something in the morning, heading out. They can probably figure you're going to church. That's not going to make them fall down and say, oh, I am so unworthy. I need to be saved. Seeing you go to church, carrying your Bible, that's not going to change them. When they see you caring for them, helping them, helping them in a time of need, uh, when they have knee replacement, you're mowing their lawn, those things are what's going to make a difference to show the faith by the work. Jesus saw these people going to a lot of effort to carry a man on his bed. Picture maybe something like a, a gurney, maybe put on ropes on all four cor cor corners. We don't really know exactly how that happened. But the point here is do your friends your co-workers, your neighbors, your relatives, do they actually see your faith? They know you're a Christian, but they think you're the real deal? Do they see faith in action? It says that when he saw their faith, he said, he saw the friend's faith 
but he looks at the man and says, your sins are forgiven you. I'm sure a lot of people were really confused. He sees their faith, but he says, your sins are forgiven. But they're thinking, well, Jesus is not what he brought him here for. He, if you didn't know Jesus, the guy's paralyzed. And the guy hasn't said anything or done anything yet. But you're saying, you see our faith, but you're going to forgive him. Well, what has he done? Do you even know him? And has he done something to you, Jesus? What, what's going on here? So let's imagine the thoughts of the friends, especially the paralytic. He's thinking, my friends are carrying me 45 minutes to see Jesus. I'm going to come away walking, you know, and then your son, sins are forgiven. What? Here, let me move the blanket. Do you see my legs? <laughs> Maybe you missed the point or whatever. You know, there might have been some disappointment. We really don't know what's going on here. But aren't you glad that God sometimes gives us what we need rather than what we want? Let's suppose the guy was healed but never had his sins forgiven. And five years later, he was killed in an accident and he went to hell. He'd probably wish in the whole time, man, I wish he didn't heal me. I wish he'd forgiven me. And we see this all the time. I, I as a pastor, see this, where people, their marriage is falling apart. So they decide, you know what? We need to go to church. Then all of a sudden their marriage gets better and guess what they do? They don't come to church anymore. <laughs> they think their biggest problem is their marriage. And God say, no, the biggest problem is the sin in your heart. And sometimes God heals the thing we we need most, and that is the sinfulness of our heart. It says, then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, well, who does this guy think he is? What is this blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They are theologically right. God's the only one that ultimately can forgive sin. And they, they're putting two and two together. This guy is blaspheming because he's claiming to be God. And again, people who say, Jesus never claimed to be God, they're not reading their Bibles carefully. Read what John has to say. The Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for what? Blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself what? God. Did Jesus say, no, 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 I didn't try to do that. Don't stone me. He's like, no, bring it. Yes, that's exactly what I'm claiming, and you're wrong for stoning me. And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? He perceived their thoughts. He's not hearing them talk. He knows what's going on in their hearts. They were saying it to themselves. And so he asked them a question. And this is a really hard question to, to answer at first on the surface. Which is easier? So think about that. Which one is easier? Your sins are forgiven to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk. Which one is easier? Well, on one level, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody's going to see that. Did it work? Did it not work? To say, rise and walk, is more difficult because you've got to back it up. <laughs> okay? So which one is easier to say? E obviously, it's, your sins are forgiven, but that's why the emphasis is there. And, and so, but now the question is, but which one is easier to do for Jesus? For Jesus to heal somebody and say, hey, get up and walk, that was easy. For Jesus to forgive sins means he had to die on the cross, which was difficult. So one thing was easier to say, the other was easier to do. And one thing was harder to say, and the other one was harder to, to do. But Jesus says, you know what, though? Even though I've already covered the most important problem, forgiving a sin, I'm going to go ahead and add icing on the cake here, just so you will know that the Son of Man, now some people look at the Son of Man, and Muslims have a problem with this statement here. They'll say, well, Jesus didn't claim to be the Son of God, he just claimed to be the Son of Man, as if that's a lesser thing. But you know what? 
in the Bible, especially in the book of Daniel, it's the greater thing. The Son of Man was a reference to God becoming human flesh from Daniel's prophecy. And so when Jesus claimed to be the Son of Man, that's when they really got mad. Because in a, in a general way, all of us can be claimed to be children of God, Son of God, little s. So him claiming to be a Son of God, they didn't have as much problem with that. It's when he said Son of Man that actually was the bigger issue. In Daniel chapter 7, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven. Old Testament saints knew that the guy who sat on the clouds of heaven was Jehovah God, okay? There came one like the Son of Man, and he, and to come to the Ancient of Days. This was a claim to deity, and that's why they, they wanted to stone him. And it says, and was presented to him, to, and was given dominion and glory and kingdom. These were all things that were referenced to Jehovah God that Jesus was claiming for himself. So, to forgive sins. That's what he was asking for. So, but you think, wait, why does Jesus have to forgive him? Let's say that Jennifer sins against Larry, and you're in the room, and you say, oh, that's okay, Jennifer, I forgive you. And you're like, she's like, what? My sin was against Larry. Larry needs to forgive me, okay? If Jesus was just another person, he has no business forgiving people because this guy hasn't done anything to him. But ultimately, because he claims to be God, all sin is ultimately against God. You see, if you kick my dog, you're not only going to apologize to my dog, you're going to apologize to me because I own the dog. And because Jesus is the creator, the owner of all of us, when we sin against one another, we're also sinning against him. That's why Jesus had the right and the prerogative to forgive all sin. He said to the man who was paralyzed, and now he's talking directly to him, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, go home. I like the verbs there. Get off from where you were, okay? Pick up the thing that was carrying you because now you're going to be carrying it. Jesus is flipping things, and I want you to go. I want you to go home, return to your family, and show them the miracle. And immediately he rose up before, rose up before them. Immediately, notice that word there, he got up, and he picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Whenever God does something miraculous in your life, scholarship, <laughs> healing of cancer, right? A new job, whatever it may be, a raise. Be careful to glorify God. You say, okay, well, you don't have to tell us that. Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> Human nature is we don't do it as, as much as we should or as often as we should. Remember that one time Jesus healed 10 of them. How many came back to say thanks? One. That's pretty typical of human nature. So now let's watch. Matt, you want to get the lights for me again? Thank you. I appreciate you. Um, we're going to watch this from the chosen here. Jesus of Nazareth. I saw what you did to the leper on the road this morning. My friend has been paralyzed since childhood. He has no hope but you. Please do for him what you did for the leper. That's a rope. Put it back, man. If you are willing, Rabbi, I know you can do this.
you wanted. Get out your tablet, at least. Harry! Is he in danger? I don't know. No, I don't think so. He's got room in there? Will you ever really here for this? Yes. Down. Down. You? By whose authority do you teach? Answer me. If you are willing, Rabbi, you know you can't. Hey, I'm talking to you. By whom do you teach? Certainly not the authority of any rabbi from Nazareth. Where did you study? Your faith is beautiful. Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right. But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk? It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you, and so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, my son, rise. Pick up your bed. It's Dallas and the creator of The Chosen, yeah. and yes, see? All right. <laughs> All right. What did you notice that was maybe not accurate? J yeah, not much of a bed, if anything, okay? So he would have rolled it up. It was like a mat. 
What else? There's one minor one I noticed. <clears throat> uh, Luke says that the, the Pharisees and the scribe teachers were in the house. These guys were outside the house. But hey, minor details, but I still enjoy it. To, but, but watch it with a critical eye. And so amazement sees them all. When God moves, people are amazed and they glorified God. They didn't glorify the person doing the miracle when there's a healing situation. If they glorified God, which again, Jesus is God, but I'm talking about separate healings, and filled with awe. And we have seen extraordinary things today. God wants to do extraordinary things in our lives. How many thousands of people were amazed, glorified God because of these extraordinary things they saw? Think about the crowds that are following Jesus and still rejected Jesus in the end. Think about that. When Jesus was crucified, there was just a handful of disciples. In the upper room, when Pentecost happened, there was 120. Where did the thousands go? And yet we see this all the time. People see God move, do amazing things, and they go off to college, and they forget about God. They get married, and they forget about God. They get a new job in another state and whatever, and they forget about God. Be careful not to forget about the amazing thing God has done in your life. So, so it's interesting, while he was in one of the cities, there came on a man full of leprosy, and when he saw me, fell on his face, and he begged him, he said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Leprosy is a picture of sin. You cannot cure yourself. You cannot heal yourself. There's nothing you can do. And when you're a sinner who doesn't know Christ as your Savior, there's nothing you do for yourself. You need to fall on your face before Jesus and beg him to make you clean. That's what it's a picture of. It's a picture of salvation. Romans chapter 6 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It also says in Romans, If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, He's the boss over everything. You give Him His all because He gave all for you. And you will believe in your heart that God has raised from the dead. He died for your sins. was buried. And God raised from the dead. You will be what? You'll be saved. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? If there's someone here today or maybe someone watching online and you've never been cleansed from your sin, like this leper was cleansed of his leprosy, you've never been cleansed and forgiven of your sin, you can do that here today, right now, either here in this building or watching from home. You simply, in your heart, cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me. I believe you died for me. I believe you were buried and you rose again on the third day. I give everything to you. Bible says when you make that decision by faith, you will be saved. Father, thank you so much for this, these two stories. I pray that we would just behold the amazing Jesus that we serve and what a, what a wonderful Lord and Savior he is. We thank you for all you've done in the past year. In Jesus' name, amen. If you still have questions about uh, salvation, here's my phone number. Call me or text me anytime. I'd love to take you to lunch, answer your questions.